Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Just before we share today's episode, I want to ask you to sign up to the Let's Talk Loyalty email newsletter. Our email newsletter is by far the best way for us to keep you up to date with all of the latest incredible loyalty stories we're sharing each week. It's also the easiest place for you to find our show notes with links to everything mentioned in all of the episodes. You can sign up at letstalkloyalty.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Hannafin, the CEO of the Wise Marketer Group, and I'm here today with CMO Aaron Dauphiné, and together we're the hosts of the Wiser Loyalty Series. Now, this series introduces constructs from our Loyalty Academy curriculum that we find interesting and we think will help all of you to become, quote, wiser marketers and wiser on the loyalty topic. Now, what we're going to do is couple our weekly learnings with relevant in-market case examples, uh, share our own points of view, and we're going to have some fun because sometimes you'll see that Aaron and I are, are very well aligned and other times you're going to see us have a nice, healthy debate. So join us now as we talk more about this month's area of focus, which is the psychology of loyalty. And today the topic is going to be particularly desired behavior theory. Right. And let me be the first to dive in on this uh, this week. So, you know, reinforcing uh, desired behavior change is the reason that loyalty exists, right? We want to induce some type of, of behavior that then elicits, uh, or sorry, induce some type of action that elicits a behavioral change. And so when we think about where this originated from, uh, really it was BJ, BF Skinner's uh, construct that came around operant conditioning in the 1970s, and he did it from the 1970s onwards. And, and most often people recognize BF Skinner's work uh, as what he did with rats and pigeons in the 1950s, which is kind of predates this. But, but really that's the foundation and the reasons why currency-based loyalty programs works today. And uh, to take it out of the loyalty context, but just to put it into you know, some base understanding for, for folks, you know, as humans, um, you know, we we learn quickly the relationship between behaviors and consequences. I think um, most of us can indicate as a child at some point, you know, we were perhaps doing something, you know, that was daring or risky that our parents just told us not to be doing. And then, you know, lo and behold, something goes wrong and we hurt ourselves or, or we hurt others. And uh, irrespective, there's a negative consequence that comes from this. And so our likelihood to repeat that action again starts to diminish. Uh, you know, maybe for some it's entirely. So we never do that action again because of that consequence. But uh, for others who are a little bit more devilish or impish, perhaps it's only for a, a stayed period of time. But but you get the point of, around the, the relationship between certain behaviors and actions that then have some some repercussions as a result. And that and that's on the negative side. If we flip that and then we think about it from a positive perspective, uh, it's also true. So so our actions are you know followed by desirable outcomes. Um, that we like, you know, we're more likely to repeat those and uh, over and over again. So if I think about in our industry, um, I travel a lot. And so uh, with if I travel with a particular airline uh, or their airlines partner programs uh, that they have in place, um, I start to gain status. And, and you know what? The, the best part about that for me is that it saves me time, you know, I guess. And I mean, saving time by I get an early boarding line. I get priority tags for my checked luggage. I get seats closer to the front of the, the plane, uh, closer to the doors, pardon me. Um, and, you know, it basically it only took me 
uh, one or so years to get the status at a certain level. And then I just always want to keep it <laughs> because of these desired outcomes, this time savings, which is so valuable to me. And there's other uh, uh, benefits as well, too. But the point being, like, I'm hooked, I'm in. And and, and that, that positive uh, type of uh, reinforcement and treatment has me doing things that I wouldn't normally do, uh, such as at the end of the year, I take a look at my balance and I see what's the threshold I need and how many more points I need. And I get on a mileage run. Uh, and I get on a plane and I go places that I sometimes, I, mean, I want to go, but I don't necessarily want to go to them in December, but they get me enough points uh, to, to get there. Or I have a credit card promotion that uh, is able to get me to the threshold. And so I spend a bit more in November, December to, to make sure I get over the line. So, uh, you know, it's, it's induced behavioral change that the programs are putting in place to get that positive outcome back in play for me. So that's kind of a, a bit of hopefully putting into context for you a little bit about operant conditioning. Um, Bill, why don't we talk about a couple other examples? Right. You know what this, to me, Aaron, this gets right to the core. I can't believe we're talking about research that was done in the 1950s right. that involved pigeons and rats. Yeah. And yet it speaks, speaks to like the, one of the biggest questions that's, that's going around the loyalty industry today. And that is, are currency programs dead? And, you know, that's a favorite topic of bloggers and people who are trying to be provocative and create some, uh, some nice traffic on their website. You know, they'll write the article currency programs are dead or they should be dead or something like that. But you know, if you think about it, there's there's the reason like, like go back, you know how we talked about the OGs and the things that we learned earlier. Well, somebody back in the day said having a points currency is a good idea with the loyalty program. Well, now we know why, because people perform behaviors and they get a reward and that reward came in the form of, of a currency of some sort, you know, miles, points, et cetera. And, and then they learn, like, that's a good thing. I can get really fun uh, gifts, you know, with that. So, the, the yes, the industry has been built around that. And there's a reason why it works, because people respond to this. They like to see a scoring system. They like to be able to measure how they're doing. And they like to be able to see that I, I execute a certain behavior. I get this reward. And then I get a, a real benefit from the reward. So it, it does work. So the, really, the question for me is, will the currency programs go away? Should they go away? And, and I. I think if you stay true to the idea like that we have to think about people, our customers as humans, and then we think about how do humans really, how are they motivated and what are the things that really drive them towards certain behaviors that we can try to as a brand enjoy and get some benefit from. I think you'd say that maybe currency of some sort is always going to be around. Some, some form of measurement is always going to be around. Does that mean that every program is going to be a points program? Absolutely not. Right. It might be that, that currency is much more in the background, but I think there's going to be some sort of, some form of measurement that's still going to be in place. I, I like that you're using the term benefit, Bill. I mean, I think that's critical. Uh, the example that I gave was about status and, and time savings. Right. Like that's something that's measurable that I can you know have that's induced to me by the benefits that come from a certain status a, a, and a threshold that I've achieved with my points accumulation. So the currency is involved in that. But the real payoff isn't for you know, an actual flight itself, uh, true airline travel redemption in the example I play take or or to do a lower points or mileage redemption that comes in the form of, um, you know, electronics or uh, passes to sports and entertainment events or, or whatever it is. But the point being like there's those two things come hand in hand in glove. And so I think your point around, you know, there's always going to be a need for some element of currency. Like that's a human inducement and natural behavior to say, you know, I need to put the arithmetic around it. But then there's also the experiential too now that's come into play it's so important and so the two are uh, ebbing and flowing and and i and i think for me it resonated a couple of years ago uh when i was working with bond brand loyalty on the loyalty report 
And, and we talked about Amazon being, uh, you know, a top program in particularly in the U.S., but in other other countries as well, too. And when you think about Amazon, like, you know, five or 10 years ago or, or when it started, no one would have thought that Amazon Prime was actually a quote unquote loyalty program, per se, because there was no currencies associated with it. Right. It was right. Like, these, um, you know, uh, behavior, uh, sorry, these these benefits that were much more experiential or, or, or passive, if you will. I mean, there was the hard benefit of like getting into the game and actually having your stuff sent to you. Um, but that was a, that was a function of a business model, right? That was more more so. That wasn't about uh, the inducement of paying dollars to to you know get higher points or, or, or go faster. It was just about saving uh, eventual savings. And and and, the, and what I found or what we saw in the loyalty report, pardon me is that uh, after a while, uh, when Amazon started to couple the credit card, which had a points mechanism associated with it, you know, they started to rise up. And so that duplicative effect or, or that stepping stone um, coming together of, of the mainstay prime program plus the credit card started to rise up and, and those became some of their best uh, late hold customers. And so I, I do believe what you said in terms of there's always a role for currency. It just doesn't need to be the same for every single program that's out there. Absolutely. And, and the only thing, I'll just cap it off with this. When I think the reason that I'm so excited about the idea of bringing behavioral theory into loyalty right in the centerpiece of, of us creating strategy is, I mean, we've had these debates, you know, who can be most convincing? You know, can I convince <laughs> you against currency programs or you do the same for me? But it's really about maybe we should both pause when we're having these debates in the boardroom or in our strategy team. So we should say, wait a minute, let's think about how people are motivated Right. Oh, they might benefit from some sort of, if not currency, then some sort of a system where they can associate their behaviors with a reward. That's what should be driving our decisions. It, it, and that would be a much more, to me, wise way to approach the whole question of should we have currency or should we not? It's based on what humans want. It's not based on what we think is the next best thing to do. Yeah. And putting the customer first is always going to be a strong winning strategy. Bingo. That, that's, that's what we're all about, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Bill. This show is sponsored by Wise Marketeer Group, publisher of The Wise Marketeer, the premier digital customer loyalty marketing resource for industry-relevant news, insights, and research. Wise Marketeer Group also offers loyalty education and training globally through its Loyalty Academy which has certified nearly 900 marketeers and executives in 49 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For global coverage of customer engagement and loyalty, check out thewisemarketeer.com and become a Wiser Marketeer or subscriber. Learn more about global loyalty education for individuals or corporate training programs at loyaltyacademy.org. so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.